Hey y'all, AB3 here. Before we get started with today's show, I just want to give you a couple of updates on the greatest hunting app that there is right now. Of course, I'm talking about the Onyx Hunt app. I have it. I don't go into the woods without it. Onyx Hunt, man, that application saved me so many times. I want to tell you about the wind and weather. We all know that plays a big part in what we do, how we decide to hunt, where we decide to hunt. And when you have the Onyx Hunt application, you can see hour by hour forecast for wind speed and direction. Check it out for the next eight days, any spot that you hunt on your map up to the next eight days. That means you can plan, plan ahead, kind of like how they said in the AT movie, plan ahead, amigo. You can do that when you got the Onyx Hunt app. Weather updates coming from 100,000 weather stations, refreshed every 15 minutes. Large intuitive visuals make it easier for hunters to identify weather patterns, make those in-moment decisions, switch it up, kill those big deer, kill those big elk, get after those ducks and geese, making quick on-the-spot decisions, man, to help you be successful. Trim tracks, man. If you got the trim tracks, you can easily get to and from your stand. Sometimes you forget to turn your trim tracker off. Now with the trim tracks, you can trim those extra steps, get it down to a precise, direct route in and out of your hunt area. Onyx Hunt, know where you stand. Make sure if you don't have it for your Android or your iPhone, it is available. You can also use it on your browser. Web maps are available. Whatever you choose to use, just make sure you're using Onyx Hunt. Stone Mountain, Georgia. This is the Bryant Land Show. Hosted by Proud Gamecock and South Carolinian AB3. Turning the page to a new month. It is March, March 1st to be specific. Spring, hopefully, is in the air where you're living. I know a lot of places are still trying to get over a cold trying to get over snow and ice and all other yucky winter weather. But it is March. Sun is shining. It's a Monday. Welcome to another episode of the Bryant Land Show. Thank you for taking the time to make the download, to make the listen. Hopefully you are listening to our podcast on our website, bryantlandcountry.com. Bryantlandcountry.com. You can listen to Every episode, past episodes, episodes right now, right now, episodes, all of them on BryantlandCountry.com. One-stop shopping for everything Bryantland. Want to give a big shout-out to the folks over at Onyx Hunt for sponsoring the podcast. And also want to say what's up to the folks at Traeger Grills and Iris Setter Boots for keeping us fit and fed as we head into spring, baby. Turkey season around the corner. 
already actually getting started down in South Florida with some youth hunts, man. Just excited to finally be getting out of winter and getting into spring. As for the show today, got a guest for you. Got a great show. So let's get started right now. My guest is the incomparable Rue Map, CEO, founder of the nonprofit organization Outdoor Afro. I met Rue down in Arkansas. We were on a snow goose hunt thanks to my man Jonathan at Black Duck Revival down in Brinkley, Arkansas. Wonderful woman doing a lot of great works as far as bringing people together in the outdoors, growing a great organization, cultivating leaders, teaching folks about every and anything outdoors. Like I said, I got a chance to spend some time with Rue while we were hunting and our experience down over uh, in Arkansas. So was glad to able, or glad to be able, I should say, to sit down, catch up with her a little more. It's funny when I do these podcasts, you know, I go into it wanting to talk about certain things and hit bullet points, but the best podcasts I've always said are the ones where we just sit down and we just talk and chop it up like old friends. And that's exactly what happened here. So without further ado, I'm going to move out the way, let you guys Listen in on my conversation with Rue Map from Outdoor Afro here on the Bryantland Show. Bryantland. I like doing these interviews when I catch people fresh out of the tree stand, fresh off the boat from fishing. <laughs> and in this yeah. case, fresh from the fields from hunting <laughs> yep. pheasants. Rue Map. Thank you for joining the Bryantland Show. How are you today? Oh, I am great. Um, and thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, it's a great place to be uh, in, in getting into a conversation with you um, out of uh, out of out of the field. Uh, literally, like walked in my door, put my gun by the door, the cooler by the door got out of my shoes and now I'm on the phone with you. Well, and then it's funny because when we were talking before we started recording, you know, the first thing I asked you is like, yep, I just dropped my gun in the cooler and, you know, naturally <laughs> I want to know, hey, is the cooler full? Like, right. you know, did you, how did it go? Because we all know, you know, it, it's feast or famine. Like some days it's really, really good and some days you're just enjoying the camaraderie and, you know, whatever, just kicking it. And then some days it's kind of like, meh, I think, you said it was a combination of both today. Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, it's it's called hunting, not like catching or getting, right? And yep. so the mindset is like, great. I mean, I, 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 I'm hopeful that it'll happen. You, you definitely position yourself for success, you know. But, you know, I was out with my mentor and her supervisor, and we talked, and it was just – such a great visit and then we met, we had some lunch afterwards and you know you you come away from those experiences you know if you harvest or not with good connections between not only people but also just feeling that breeze you know against my face all morning and and 
the grass, you know, just, just being like in nature, immersed in nature in the ways that hunting, you know, requires that you do. Um, it, it, it just, it just is, it fills your soul. But I mean, I think to, to your question though, you know, my cooler, is not full, but I have two pheasant in it. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. That's so what I'm saying. I'm, you, you got yeah, something to work with. I got something to work with. And you know, like, I just, so I had actually got some pheasant, um, you know, a couple of months ago. And I served pheasant uh, to my boyfriend um, on Valentine's Day. There you go. And so that one pheasant, you know, then became you know, some, some, um, broth, you know, so I, you know, made a a nice stock out of the bones from that pheasant. And then I had some leftover meat from that pheasant and I had made some lettuce and Thai rice wraps with those, you know, little bits and pieces. So one pheasant can be three meals, right? So, you know, I, I, I see like abundance even in one. There you go. Look at you stretching it out. And then mm-hmm. the, the, the most important thing that I took away from that was making pheasant for dinner on Valentine's Day for your boyfriend. I, I mean, that's, <laughs> I'm sure that has earned more cool points uh, in your favor. <laughs> so I, I, I applaud that here. I, uh, I, it, I'm telling you, we that was like there was so many directions of love, right? It was like, of course I love him and he loves me, but you know, bringing to the table, um, not only pheasant, but like I had caught some Dungeness crab in the San Francisco Bay. Um, there w- was a, a couple of goose, um, goose breasts okay. that, um, we got, we brought home from Arkansas. Yep. Um, and then, um, we, grilled some goose hearts as an appetizer so it was like so much about you know sharing this food that came at this intimate sense of sacrifice and relationship that was felt just so appropriate to share in that moment and it tasted good you know i mean you just taste like you taste that whole experience in the food and we just had such a great time that night now let me ask you this because this the you know we you know we met in arkansas doing the uh the conservation hunt uh with jonathan from black duck revival and one of the great things about that was you get to try you know different things or at least for me it was trying different things and and, i mean jonathan is an amazing cook he does things with wild game that yep. you know, an old Southern boy like myself who just wants to put everything on the grill or put everything in the oven, he right. does. He does some amazing things, but the heart—that was a new one. So it was two new ones for me. Raccoon, which anybody who listens to this show knows listen, that I've listen. been on a tangent about not trying raccoon for the last two years. So that was the first time okay. I ever tried it. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll tell you this. I've been talking about that raccoon, which I've called coon, ever <laughs> since that. Because I, I may have had raccoon when I was a child. You know, I come from a family that, you know, hunted and fished. And, you know, we ate all kinds of things when I was really young. So it's it's not unlikely that I had it, but it certainly wasn't in any any memory 
that I could locate that I had had it. So for me, it was brand new, right? Yep. And the way that Jonathan made that, it just it still sticks with me in that, you know, he, you know, he slow cooked it. He braised it yep. in this bear fat. And then he made a white sauce to go with it. Yep. And he had uh, this, you know, special West African pepper to go into it to bring a little heat into it. And he brightened it with this lemon zest. And so there was all of this like partying going on in my mouth. And, <laughs> and, 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 and he had, and the thing that, and the thing that he also did was he made these, uh, these, these sweet potato tortellini. Yes, you know, and that's so, and what so, I couldn't remember. I knew we had sweet potato, but I knew it wasn't like just your garden variety, like no. chopped sweet potato. But yeah, no, no, the no. sweet potato tortellini, that's what Yeah, it... and that meal was in dialogue with an historic black American dish that enslaved people would, would cherish, and that was to be able to procure a coon and have sweet potatoes with it. Right. And so it was a real it was a real um beautiful you know way of lifting up the culture and and celebrating, you know, what you know, we we just have lost, I feel, you know, across the generations meals that people took delight and pride in preparing for their families. And and then the way that he did it with this eye, you know, toward a um, you know more modern palette um, was really fun. And so I've just you know been talking about that, and 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 it just has really kept my imagination going about what else is there that we can be talking about, tasting, thinking about um, that aligns with who we've always been. And just uh, and and finding different ways to prepare the food and you know like mm-hmm. I said just you know to get different flavors and stuff out of it I mean it does it makes you it makes you think at least for me it makes me you know think out of the box as far as like the the preparation and the the other thing too that I wanted to kind of ask you because you said you served up the goose heart and that was the first time, too, in Arkansas that I'd ever tried, like, any kind of, like, organ, like, hard or anything okay. like that. How Was that your first time, too? Like, or have you had it before? Do you like it and stuff? It, it was real kind of gummy. Like, it Yeah. It, it really wasn't it, it, my, my, my deal. But I'm curious to know, like, if, if you had it before or, or you know, liked yes. it and how you prepared, you know, this time around. Yes. Well, I, you know, I, we, I, I love going to these Brazilian steakhouses um, from time to time. And that was my first introduction to eating hearts of any kind. And you, you usually at these Brazilian steakhouses, um, with, you know, you, you, you get offerings of all different types of grilled meats and they will cut it off of the skewer you know, or, or lift it off of the skewer right at your table coming straight from the kitchen. And there's like a little block that you set on your table that lets people know who are serving the food, if you're ready for more, or if you need to 
you know, have them stop for a while. Otherwise they just keep coming and coming and coming and coming. Right. (laughs) So it's definitely, it's definitely, if you've never had a Brazilian steakhouse experience, you've got to try it once in your life. And especially if you've got hungry people in your life. And so anyways, one of the offerings that came by one time, my first time going was, was uh, a skewer of chicken hearts and it was it was really love at first bite. You know, I love I love textures, um, chewy textures. I love gristle, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, I love tendon, you know, and so it just but it had enough give, you know, where you could you could break it down really easily. And it had it didn't have any, you know, kind of foul, like, you know, gamey, um, you know, uh, uh, sensation or, or or taste to me. So I just. You know, I just loved it. And so the goose heart just kind of, you know, presents, of course, a bigger size, but a really similar flavor. And so what I ended up doing, my mouth is watering, even telling you this right now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So what I did um, with the goose hearts, you know, obviously um, it's better to have like more than one, you know. And so I'd been saving goose hearts um, because I had gone on a goose hunt before going to Arkansas. Yeah. And so I had some goose hearts uh, saved up in a in a plastic baggie in my freezer, and so I added the goose heart uh, that came from Arkansas with what I already had, and I did the same thing. I put it on a skewer, I you know salted it, peppered it, and just put it on the skewer. And I'll send you a picture of it um, because it turned out perfectly. And my boyfriend actually, um, you know, wasn't raised with, uh, you know, game meats on the table and he loved it as well. And he also loved the pheasant and he loved that goose um, breast that was, you know, cooked medium rare. And it was just so, you know, it was just, like I said, it was, it, it was about the experience and the appreciation, yep. you know, and the connection that, um, made made the flavors that were you know already just good by i think most people's standards like taste even better man now you're so you your boyfriend like you said he wasn't raised on like game meats and stuff but so like now does he hunt with you does he go out uh with you from time to time or is he a big big hunter or no he actually enjoys fishing and so fishing is the the activity that we love to do together nice so you know we live in the san francisco bay area so we have a lot of opportunities around where we live to you know get on some you know striped bass some salmon um halibut rockfish um and we can also um you know seasonably you know go crabbing uh so we you know we'll do charters from time to time um or we'll go to a place that's near where my family's um property is called clear lake and um, we've had some really great luck with catfish there um you know pulling in you know seven to ten pounders at some time so you know we we really enjoy fishing together mm-hmm. and i think but i do think that at some point because for me hunting is is i call myself a born-again hunter in that you know i was born with with the lifestyle of of hunting and fishing with my family yep but um as my dad's health declined and as you know his community also had you know the same 
you know, the same um, circumstances, you know, he did it less and less. And by the time I was in my teenage years and my young adulthood, there wasn't really anybody hunting or fishing in the family, especially after my dad passed away um, in my later 20s. Mm. So and then I and then I ended up, you know, starting my own family and it just felt like too big of a lift to get started while raising young kids because I knew I needed help. Right. And I just didn't want to introduce another dynamic of firearms and all these other things um, that that I just wanted to feel more confident about before bringing, you know, my family into the into the fold. And so fast forward, you know, um, I've divorced. My children are, of course, much older and um, and, and now, you know, they're young adults and so the desire to, to really get back to my own family heritage, but also a care for just getting back into food, um, you know, up, you know, obtain the honest way, <laughs> right. in my opinion, right. um, you know, it was was really, you know, just the desire was really strong. And so that's what brought me back into the hunting conversation and and really just just humbling myself to be a beginner again and to learn and to be mentored and it feels really good um and and right to to be in the space of of being able to to do something that i feel like honors my heritage Mm -hmm. but also helps me to just feel really connected to nature in a way that's different than and deeper than than the ways that i i've traditionally connected with the outdoors yeah no that that is awesome because it's actually you you took me there before um I was actually going to get there because that's one of the little notes that I got jotted down basically like your who your why your when because I'm always interested in how people come to this because there's so many different roads and maps and yeah. avenues and stuff to get here and, yeah but I want to hold that point right there because you said something else that I wanted to hit you with. You said yeah. you uh, go crabbing, and I saw in one of your blogs, I believe, you took a trip to Charleston. I'm born and raised from South Carolina. Charleston is my absolute favorite city in all oh, the entire world. Did place. you go crabbing when you were in Charleston? You know, I did not go crabbing. But I did. <laughs> I did have. I did have a low country boil. Yep. Um, and it was it was delicious and. Uh, and I have been, that was my second time in Charleston. And the very first time um, was um, maybe about 15 years ago. Okay. And uh, we stayed at, uh, I believe it's called the Planters Inn, and they had this restaurant. It just really blew me away because, you know, I had been raised on agricultural South uh, cuisine. Okay. okay. So, like, you know, um, you know, lots of, uh, you know, cow, yep. you know, greens, yep. um, not so much seafood, um, okay. and, and not, it, and, and the seafood really came into play in my family through, uh, on my mom's side who came from Louisiana. Right. Mm. So that's where, okay. you know, the gumbos and, and crabs and things, but, you know, by the time, you know, gumbo gets made on the West coast where a lot of, uh, black people from the South, um, moved from Louisiana and Texas, right. you know, the, the gum, the gumbo has dungeness crab, right? Yeah. Not, not that blue crab. 
And so to my, to my surprise and delight, I got, you know, I got familiarized with a different kind of soul food um, that was just regionally different than the soul food that I've been raised on. And that was that low country cuisine that has, you know, what I yeah, discovered the, the, the she crab soup, mm-hmm. right. The, you know, the low, con- Oh gosh. Oh my God. I was like, yeah. where have you been all my life? Yep. You know? yep. Um, love the food, so that- love the experience. Oh. Yeah. Try it. I always tell people, like I said, it is absolutely hands down the mode, like the, my favorite city. And the one thing that I have not done yet, but I do intend to do is I haven't experienced a lot of like the outdoors as far as like fishing, hunting and stuff like that in the low Mm -hmm. country. Because when I lived down there, I wasn't into it yet. Right. Um, So I want to do that. But yeah, when I saw that, I was just like, hmm, I wonder did you go crabbing? Because like all the people that I know that are born and raised grew up in Charleston, like legit from Charleston. Right. That's like Christmas any day of the week when you can go crabbing. I know. Right. (laughs) Well, you, you just put something on my mind because I will be in Charleston again this fall and it's going to be a milestone birthday for me the week I'll be there. So maybe that's something that I I could treat myself to to experience. Yeah. So, Thanks for thanks for that tip. Hey, we're we're we we are here to encourage and help. So Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, Thank you. Um so let's circle I wanna circle back. Well, two things, because, you know, I go into these and I kinda jot down like little notes and little bullet points and stuff that I wanna hit, but then I know the conversation will take me where, you know, take me other places and stuff. That's why I always tell people when I do these, it's not a, you know, question, answer, question, answer kind of forum yeah. kind of thing. All um, right. But I want to bounce back to your pheasant hunt. It's right. It was there in California, correct? Yep. At a place called Hastings Island, uh, which is about, um, I would say about, you know, 50 miles or so from, you know, San Francisco, yep. um, and uh, it's it's in the Central Valley of California. I literally um, could see, you know, the you know mountains on one side that that had snow, oh, and wow. then and then a range of mountains on the other side um, that didn't have snow, and and so I was in this this swath that that kind of goes down through the central part of California. That's you know regarded as the valley. And um, it is the, you know, agricultural, um, you know, center of not only California, but also this country where so much um, produce is, is uh, harvested, uh, you know, as, as a, a breadbasket. But it also has some really fine hunting opportunities. And that's the thing that I've just delighted in discovering i was just this morning i was just driving you know through the countryside and and just feeling really fortunate to live in a place uh where i could access lands like this so easily you know within an hour from my home and and i just you know i just hope that i can help more people um discover these places that didn't require a plane to jump on to get right, to right. that didn't require you know you know a lot of know-how a regular car could get to it didn't have to go through any kind of mountain ranges or snow and 
you know, so just, just feeling a lot of gratitude for the proximity of this place. And so um, that's where I was this morning. And see that, that part of it's awesome. And then another part that, that you mentioned too, that I, that I find really cool is even though it was, you know, your hunting trip, um, it was almost kind of like a, like a scouting kind of deal because you said you were setting up to kind of run like a clinic on doing a pheasant hunt and then breaking down pheasant and, and things like that. And I think, yes. that, and I think that is just so awesome because, you know, a lot of times, you know, we always talk about introducing new people into hunting and, and things of that nature, but taking it a step further into like breaking it down and, you know, going beyond just you know breasting out birds and stuff like that yes oh gosh yes and so you know the reason why i was there today wasn't you know purely for selfish reasons as you as you you know alluded to i was there to you know to harvest some pheasant that we can use for an upcoming clinic that we've uh called uh you know a black hunting um you know, heritage um, experience where we get a cohort of people together and and pair them with mentors so that they can begin the process of of education to obtain their hunting license to discover uh, and learn about what kind of firearm that they need time to practice 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 safe handling yep. of a firearm. Yep. Um, and, and, and to really, um, take the time as a group to ask all the silly questions, you know, that, you know, and, and, and and then give these people experiences that take them from field to the table. And so one weekend we plan to do pheasant and another, we plan to do duck. Mm -hmm. And so of course we, you know, we can't know in advance how many, of each we might harvest and so we wanted to have some some pheasant and some duck on hand for our guest chef to be able to demonstrate how to break it down how to prepare it and people will get you know a sample of what of what that you know experience is and and learn about what's possible and i was inspired to do this because you know, this has been a really, I have to admit, it's been an uphill uh, journey for me to get back into hunting. And I say this not to, to discourage anyone, but to get grounded in the reality that if you don't have people in your life who are able to spend the time and mentor you, it's, it's especially difficult to just jump in, you know, yeah. as a walk on. Yeah. Okay. Um there are so many things that you need to prepare for both, you know, from a technical perspective, you know, an educational perspective, but also emotionally. And, and then, okay. And then you harvest something, then what do you do with it when you right. get home? Right. Um, and so we don't live in communities where these experiences are being had on a regular basis in the way that I grew up when in my early childhood. And so it's my hope that we demystify what hunting and fishing is about and at the end of the day, really empower people about how they can procure their own food and not just 
from a survival perspective, because I think that's where people, you know, tend to go. It's like, oh, I, you know, if, you know, the end of the world happens, I didn't know how to get my food, <laughs> you know, but, but we're not, it, this is, it is, it doesn't, the motivation doesn't come from an alarmist viewpoint as much as it does a conservation ethic yep. and a chance for people to get more in the flow of the cycle of life and death. I feel like we've just, we've just become so sanitized and distanced from the source of our food. And on the other end of it is this opportunity for community mm-hmm. and, and, and respect and celebration and, and pleasure that comes from the, the meats that you harvest and, and, and because of, of how, painstaking it is to get to that place you're going to take care to prepare it in a way that honors the life that that wild creature had but also you know the experience that you had you know and so you're not going to just you know throw it you know any old kind of way (laughs) you know know, i mean you could pick up you could pick up you know that boneless skinless chicken breast that's you know that has no soul whatsoever (laughs) of course it has a soul it had to come from somewhere it wasn't well yeah i mean but uh, i i understand what you're saying (laughs) yeah i mean i think it's the difference between the the you know the industrially produced experience versus one that you you that you had your hand in and 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 how you and how you treat it and how you celebrate it and how you enjoy it 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 it, it's it's very different when i eat something that i've harvested it's a different physiological response i'm having in my body like it's it's just it's vibrationally different than something that I you know get off the shelf. So another thing that I was really motivated to do this year in my own home is to avoid purchasing any meat that's been enslaved. And now I can't of course control things when I'm not in my home visiting friends or, or going to a restaurant. Yep. But um, it was my goal to, to fill my freezer and it continues to be my goal to keep my freezer full of things that I personally harvest um, because I just I just I want to earn my food in that way. And I want to enjoy food in a different way. No, and and I think that a, a lot of us um, and I'll go out on a limb, although I don't think it's much of a limb, everybody that does this you know, does it because they enjoy, you know, the taste of wild game, whether it's, you know, fishing, uh, big game, you know, hunting turkeys, hogs and stuff like that. Like I always, I laugh at people all the time that, you know, get on the, you know, they don't eat swine and all this other stuff. And, and, you know, more power to them. I don't, you know, try to force anything on anybody, but, you know, I I started like the first thing I ever killed was a wild hog with a bow, um, so wow. I I enjoy hunting hogs, and I got to tell you there are times when, you know, if I don't have any wild hog in my freezer, I don't really want anything. <laughs> like I don't want like yeah the the wild hog from Piggly Wiggly. I mean like and and I'm right. not gonna sit here and lie. There are times where I'll break down, and obviously I'll go get it because I just have a taste for 
for pork or whatever. But yeah, it, yeah. But yeah, like you try to do that, and then the same thing with with turkey, um, deer. Like there, I know people who legit do not buy beef anymore. Like I marveled at a buddy yep. of mine that. And we have liberal deer numbers here down south. Like in Georgia, you can kill 10 does and two bucks. Wow. Um, oh, my goodness. And a buddy of mine uh, here killed seven does this year. Got them all on camera, okay. too. All with a bow. Wow. Like, I, I marvel at that. Shout out to Brian Maddox. Um, okay, Brian. Seven, we see you. Seven deer, all with a bow, all on camera. And it's just like I don't. It's like we don't buy beef. It's like we'll yeah. we'll go through all of that, like you know, from steaks to stew meat to That's ground right. and everything. So, like I said, I think you know, those of us that get into this, we definitely do it because we enjoy having our meats, having our to process our meats, especially those that you know do every step of the way themselves like yes. I, can, I can do birds like i can break down birds i don't have the equipment to do deer and hogs so i take that to mm -hmm. the processor but right it's still you know like you said knowing that you're the one that you know harvested that animal you're the one that you know shot killed whatever the listen, case is listen like you know that that animal lived a free life up until the moment you met okay you can look in the contents of its stomach and see the elements of its environment yeah where it. it's been where it's you, not it's been yeah eaten. yeah yeah i mean that to me is the that was like one of the most satisfying things to go okay i'm not eating something that's diseased Yep. I'm not eating something that's been, you know, um, filled up with um, with with uh, non-natural foods. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's not been, you know, boosted with hormones, yep. you know, that 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 would, you know, prevent it from, you know, acting and being naturally uh, as it would in the wild. And so I and I, I mean, I that is a goal like I would <laughs> love, love, love to really have that kind of a freezer and, and really role model that for my family and my community and, and to, you know, elevate that experience to the next level by, by making, you know, delicious food um, that I feel, you know, has a, will have a very different relationship with, with, you know, my digestion and, and just the whole experience of eating yep. that, that is about, you know, slowing down and taking stock in something versus, you know, you know, fast procurement, you know, and fast, you know, in the garbage, you know, whatever's <laughs> left over, you know, um, I, because I use every bit, you know, if it's not, if it's not meat that's eaten, you know, we, we've covered the organ meats, you know, I'm, I'm definitely on them. And then, you know, I'm on to stock after that. The stock is something, especially with birds. That's something that, um, I want to try to do more next year is to start making like stock and then turn around and then you can use that stock as opposed to That's like right. a lot of times, like when I do deer, when I do roast and stuff, I'll use like a, a beef stock or something like that. And it, it'd be nice to turn around and be 
be able to use like a like a goose stock or like a duck yes. stock or something like that. You know, it just like I said, it it makes you think out of the box. The other thing too, like I I really enjoy talking to you folks from out west, like California and Oregon and and place like even Jonathan like um down in Arkansas because you guys look at it completely different than a lot of the folks that I'm around or a lot of folks that I know that hunt just like, look, we, we enjoy having a good time. We enjoy being a wood, being in the woods. Mm-hmm. There's a peace, mm-hmm. there's a calm in the woods, but we want to get deer. We want to kill deer. We want to kill turkeys because we enjoy it the way they taste and all that other stuff. But you guys yeah. are like on a whole nother level. It's talking about indigestion and where it <laughs> came from. And I know where it's been and stuff like you guys almost right, have. Yeah, we, get, we get a little, I mean, a little metaphysical. Yeah. Little metaphysical y'all have almost like a, like a, like a, a, a spiritual connection. And I, and I'm not. You know, don't get me wrong. I don't want to make it seem like a, a stereotype or anything like, you know, West Coast, uh, you know, folks from out West or down South or whatever. But I'm speaking from my personal experience from doing this show and talking to people. You know, like I said, my folks from around here and stuff, you know, we are counting down the days to deer season. We are ready to go. We want to kill deer right. and and enjoy it and enjoy being in the woods and the camaraderie. And then you guys out west are talking, like I said, y'all are talking about, you know, the hormones and, and the indigestion and all this <laughs> other stuff. It, it, like I said, for me, it, it, it's, it's, it, it's always interesting because, you know, it, it's, it's just a different way to look at it. And that's one of the reasons why I like doing this show is just because you, you present different point of views and different ways of looking at stuff. Because honestly, like well, the very first time when I talked to Jonathan, I had never thought about you know, like, of course, you know, like, okay, it's in the wild, you know, you're whatever you kill is in the wild and all that stuff. But, you know, I didn't really put the whole, you know, like, you know, revering over the life and the life that the animal lived and like all those yeah. kind of things. Like, it was just like, all right, I made a good, made a good bow shot. Track job <laughs> was easy. Let's get this thing to the though? process and get on the road. Like, you know, Yeah, just... but you know what? That's okay, too. Right. right. Like, exactly. I, 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 like, I feel like there's room for, I mean, just like with any practice, yep. you're going to find there's the spectrum. Okay. There's going to be people who, you know, are going to, you know, be more practical. They're going to get it in where they can, yep. you know, and there's going to be people who have, you know, the inclination or the luxury, or maybe it's something to do with, you know, how they, uh, you know, how they approach their profession. I mean, we, we all, br- we bring our whole selves to this yep. and, and that's going to be, you know, as unique as a snowflake. I mean, or, you know, so I really appreciate hearing and I and and when you tell me about how practical it is when you think about the way that folks are are engaging with the with the deer season it's like I there's a part of me that envies that like I <laughs> wish I wish I lived in a part of the world where everything was oriented around getting you know wild animals and that you know there was a practical and everyday way. And I think what you're talking about is really where I'd like to land at some point in my life. You know, for instance, you know, my work is all about focus. It's all about focus on 
black people getting outside and feeling comfortable in the outdoors, right? Yep. And in the beginning, in the beginning, it was so much about outdoor recreation, mm-hmm. and it continues to be the the real um, center of our work: hiking, mm-hmm. biking, camping, you know, water activities, whitewater rafting, mm-hmm. kayaking, canoeing, and so on. Um, and so the the hunting and fishing piece is really it's it's more of the it's my individual journey. It's yep. not necessarily one that I've I've infused or invested in uh, in the same way for the organization. But I will say that the the goals are really similar in that I want to work toward an ordinariness. I want to work toward a moment when we all look up and we see people out recreating and caring about the natural world in proportion to their opportunity and their population. And it's no big deal. Right. So when you talk about, yeah, where I live, you know, it's no big deal. We're not, you know, meditating on it. We ain't praying <laughs> on it. We're not, you know, genuflexing on it. We, right. We're just getting to it. Right. Okay, we get into the meat. Okay. Right. But I think that there's something about that also that, you know, is really beautiful in how it's as routine and a part of your life and and not um you know and i i think you know for people like me when you have to really fight hard to get to a place you know that i'm in right now to begin hunting again Mm -hmm. you know it takes so much effort and you are absolutely swimming against the grain of what the popular opinion is and even the regulations are you know california's really yeah y'all's regulations are they're yeah they're they're out there and it doesn't help that you also picked at least one and i'll say one of the hardest things to get into i don't know much about you know pheasant hunting and stuff it's something that it's on my list it's like something i think i do want to try like pheasant and quail and stuff oh like yeah that. But, we got you but duck hunting any kind of waterfowling is basically like one of the hardest things to get into because it's just so much overhead uh, you got your yes. your weapons you got and especially if you're doing it yourself like it's one thing if you're if you're doing like a lot of outfitted hunts or if you got you know buddies who have the equipment but if you're doing it yourself and you are just making the effort yourself and you're hunting public land and you got your decoys, you got your bow. Impossible. Let me tell yeah. you something. It's <laughs> impossible. There's no way, okay, that you can go from I want to go duck hunting in your mind and even if you even say it out your mouth, okay, <laughs> okay, you're not going to get into that experience, fully into that experience. You can just go ahead and count on at least a year, before you can actually make that dream come true. And even if you do go out to hunt, it will not mean that you will be successful at, at actually harvesting something. And I'll tell you just in my own naivete, you know, I signed up for a women's hunting course uh, to go duck hunting. Now the duck season here in California, um, the regular season ends in January 31st. Okay. Okay. So I signed up, as a, as a first time hunter to do this duck hunt the first week of January, <laughs> I had no gun. 
<laughs> I had no gear and equipment. No waiters. I just said, this course <laughs> sounds really good. I'm going to try. And the woman, bless her heart, she calls me up. And she says, hi, um, I'd like to know, um, you know, what kind of weapon will you be using? I was like, oh, I'll get one this weekend. <laughs> now, for those of you, for those of you who live in California, we there ain't no get a gun this weekend. Yeah. OK, yeah. <laughs> you have you have to actually um, if once you actually, you know, do purchase a gun, it's a 10 day wait period. Yeesh. OK. So there was no way I was going to get a gun, right? And this idea that I would have a gun I, by this weekend would also mean that I wouldn't <laughs> have had time to practice, right? Okay. So and so you. Let me. So, I'm gonna so, jump okay. in right here because I wanted to judge just the difference because I'm not sure if you know this. So like in Georgia, I have what's called a Georgia weapons license. Like I went, I filled out all the paperwork. Did my background check, got my Georgia's wep- my Georgia weapon license. If I mm-hmm. wanted to go buy a shotgun in Georgia, I can go to the academy, to the academy sports, Bass Pro, Mom and Pop, anywhere. Show them my Georgia weapons license, and in thirty minutes, I have a shotgun, pistol, whatever. I just wanted to throw that out there when yeah, you say yeah, ten that, days. That, that, yeah, don't rub that in my face. You just. <laughs> You're just trying to show out, okay? <laughs> Listen, and and, then we, and my boyfriend who lived in Texas for a while, every time we go to the gun store, he always has to talk about the fact that, yeah, when I lived in Texas, I used yep. to be able to just go, go and, and get, yep. Yeah, go and get, you know, my thirty caliber, you know, like, I mean, anyway, so I just, like, um, you know, didn't have any idea, yep. you know, so there was a lot of education yep. that I you know, needed to have about how to procure California, a, a, a firearm in California. Um, and, you know, uh, and I also had to give myself the time to both get educated, yep. get my hunter's license, yep. as well as learn how to shoot. And so learning how to shoot is a really important one because <laughs> you want to be, you want to be able to, you know, be safe, right. not, not hurt yourself and others, obviously. Right. But you want to be able to kill ethically, right? right? So you want to be able to take shots that will actually land, yep. you know, and, and where it's supposed to land. And so that the, you know, that the that the wild thing, you know, um, has a very quick, you know, death and not tortured and not wounded. Right. So there was a lot, there was a lot I had to learn about that. And so needless to say, I did not go to that course. They gave my spot to someone else. And I still went and I bought as much of the gear as I could. Yeah. And I was, I, I came out with a little bit of sticker shock because after you tally yeah. up the price of the waiters, yep. you know, and for those of you who are not familiar with what waiters are, they basically are, you know, rubber boots and a whole like rubber bodysuit to right. keep you when dry you- when you walk through, uh, you know, marshy areas, water. And, um, and so I had to buy waiters and, and waiters are another story for women because it's, it's tricky to find waiters yeah, to fit women's bodies, that, you know? Yeah, that's, oh man. I didn't even think about that because then when you start talking about, you know, your foot size, cause normally you buy a waiter, you start with, you know, your foot size. And then right. if there's some, you know, hopefully if they got some kind of like options and stuff, like with the body and, you know, how that's tight right. and stuff. Jeez. Yeah. So you got waiters, yeah. you got your jackets, gloves, yeah, the, ammunition. The jacket, 
Yes. Uh, and then, you know, you got to have a, you know, a, a, a blind bag or a bag that has, yep. you know, uh, enough room to carry, you know, you know, some of the above, but, yep. you know, some food and, and be able to, you know, hang out in wet, damp places without compromise. And, yep. you know, and then there's the other bells and whistles, right? There's, you know, uh, your calls, you know, so that you can, you know, call birds in and all kinds of other things, you know, that I've just learned along the way. And I've also learned that people who hunt and especially duck hunters are so creative and there's all kinds of things that have been invented and adapted to make yep. the experience more, you know, so you can, you can keep spending from there, but there's, those are the basic things that you need. And those are not cheap things. And, and I remember leaving, you know, um, just having a little bit of sticker shock, but you know, I know I'm going to be using these things for a little while and, and um, it feels really good and it's essential for you to have a good experience to be prepared right. with the right gear for the right experience. Right. Um, so, so I, so I came into this season um, with all the gear with, with a gun um, that I actually traded for another gun because the gun that I bought wasn't the right fit for me. It turns out. And then, um, and then I took my time over the summer with the education and did a lot of shooting at the range and started um, hunting doves actually here mm, okay. in the Central Valley, yep. um, and which is an easy easy uh, hunt for easier hunt for new people because it's in the afternoon so it's not like you got to get up super early in the morning Four in the morning right, right. you can do it in the afternoon it's what you can it's social you yep. can talk you can be like hey adam over there yep. there's one coming your way you know so you're not have to worry about spooking things away in the same way you would do with other um hunts and so that was my first introduction it was on public land and it gave me a chance to see how public land works and it just gave me a i think i had a real i had a different use of public land before hunting and i just now have a deeper appreciation for the role of public lands to be available for people who you know don't have private land to access or don't have a club to go to or can't afford so um you know the importance of, of public lands for um, you know, for wildlife to have refuge and and to and to have a place for people to responsibly hunt for them um, is um, you know something I've come to deeply appreciate. They, it's funny because you know you hear the the debate back and forth about public and public land and private land and stuff. And just, you know, making sure that there is enough public land because that's what a lot of people do fight. And it's like once you go and you invest in all this equipment and all this stuff, if you don't have any access or have anywhere to go, then it's kind of, you know, basically flushing money down the toilet. So access yes. is always, you know, an importance uh, as a part of the experience. Absolutely. I see that now more than ever. And. You know, I just and and just you know, I've been learning the systems, the reservation systems, yep. the draws, you know, the draws. Kind of stuff, yeah, yep. getting there, getting there super early in the morning, hoping to get on in the afternoon, and you know, and 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 then once you're on, you know, learning how to share the space with others mm -hmm. in a way that's you know respectful, you know, not only of of the wildlife but of the other hunters. Uh, so. It's, it's been a real education, you know, not only to get 
you know, to the point of being able to hunt, but also the culture of hunting and, and, and just how to, you know, conduct yourself and, and how to, how to work, you know, the, the systems. Um, and so this is why it's going to take you a year from the moment you open your mouth and say, <laughs> I want to go hunting. All of these things are not things that you can acquire in, you know, a, a two week period of time, you right. know? And I also have learned that, that, you know, if you've got more money, you know, you definitely can move the odds in your favor right. of of access yep. as well as success yep. of hunting, you know. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, what it means if you, you know, don't have access to a club or access to private lands or, you know, or like you and me, get, being able to get on a plane and go someplace, right. <laughs> um, to, you know. You know, what does hunting look like for, you know, folks who have, you know, a, a very a much more narrow range of opportunity, you know. So in that way, you know, it's not it's not a, you know, all things being equal kind of world if you don't have the resources, unfortunately. Right. right. And, it, and it's much like anything else in life where it's like if you if you do have the money, you know, you can certainly set yourself up, like you said, with better resources and stuff. But there's still you can hire a guide. You yep. can hire a guide who's gonna, you know, have coffee in the blind for everybody. <laughs> and, yep. and you then, know, I I actually have a colleague who went on a hunt with a guide, and you know, and that's that's and I I believe in guides. I think it's especially if it's a new experience, yep. and I'm definitely gonna be um, working with the guide. Um, Come March, I'm going to be doing um, uh, an elk hunt um, and and a cow elk hunt. And, you know, there's no way I could do that um, if I was on my own. No, um, and, and now and I'm on a new learning curve because I'm moving from shotgun handling um, that I've done all duck season to rifle handling. Right. Um, so I just I just actually took my rifle out last weekend and practice 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 um but there's just no way even even if i feel you know comfortable with my shotgun i mean it's it's about the terrain it's about you know um being successful yep. and as, as you can and and these guides they they work so hard and, and you, try um, to, you try to learn from them like i i have the utmost respect for you know, folks that get into guiding and do guiding and stuff, because I see it in groups totally. all the time. You know, there are people who's like, oh, well, you know, you can go to a place and go on public land and try to figure it out on your own. And that's part of the challenge and blah, 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 blah. And I mean, again, like we said earlier, if that's your if that's your bag, more power to you. But if you have I think it's more beneficial. I think you get more out of the experience if you can. Yes you know, be with a guide because nine times out of 10, unless you are just a complete jackass, when right. you're with a guide and you ask smart questions, they're going to share stuff with you and you're going to Absolutely. Learn. So, I mean, it, to me, it's a win-win if you, if you can do it. Like I said, I, I certainly understand that that's not what everybody can do, but I just, I hate when I see people who kind of thumb their nose at it because it's like, you know, if you can, it's just smart. It's the smart thing to do. Like, is well, anything else? Like, yeah, you know, I, mean, I think it's just it's paid mentorship, right? You right. know, it's like you if you don't have the benefit of having someone to mentor you, 
you know, that's a, that's a way to, you know, to, to get that. And, you know, what I love about guides is that, you know, you find people who, cause you don't do guiding if you kind of half like it. Right. Exactly. You gotta like, like, you gotta like people. You You gotta really enjoy seeing. I think the best guides enjoy seeing their clients be successful. That's right. Literally, like legitimately enjoy, you know, seeing their clients be successful. And that's how you get, you know, repeat clients. I mean, yeah. Well, I think they, they, there's two, there's another part too that I've observed with, with guides. And that is, they they want you to be successful, but they have a genuine love and respect for oh, these yeah. animals. Yeah, I mean they are like and they and they like they know their behavior. Yep. They they they're they're true trackers, yep. right? Yeah, and and to see them work the magic of being able to track animals and to predict behaviors and um, you know understand species and and I mean it's just from I, I geek out I geek out on the science part of it, you know, and these these guys and, and ladies have that knowledge, that nature knowledge that I just you know, I, I just feel like it's it's just it's something more people need to have. More people I feel could benefit from just being able to read the landscape, you know, to being able to spot things, yep. observe things, you know. And so so I I've definitely observed like both yeah, I want you to be successful, but let me, you know, educate you and share with you this deep, deep well of knowledge that I have for, for the species. Man. Now, the last thing that I want to cover with you before I get you out of here is one question that I did write down. Um, you were CEO, founder of Outdoor Afro, you know your organization and we 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 touched on it a bit um just a few minutes back and you talk about you know how you're doing like camping hiking and stuff like that basically stuff that is not necessarily in the hunting space but is definitely considered outdoors my question is were you i guess inspired to start outdoor afro because of you being raised in the outdoors and then did outdoor afro make you want to go back and pick up you know with your hunting and stuff yes and yes i mean (laughs) you know outdoor afro outdoor afro was really it really is born um you know from that growing up in wild experience that my father put together for us we had a house in oakland mm-hmm. you know which is a, you know the city yep. we lived in a kind of a suburb area of oakland but it was still city and but he my dad was a, a country boy right he considered himself a cowboy and he <laughs> nice. loved love love loved the outdoors and he was a true outdoorsman and he um decided to buy a ranch oh wow about uh, about 100 miles north of of uh oakland and one one of the towns that you drive through actually is the town that i live in right now and it just gives me such a kind of a chill sometimes when i can you know think of the times when it would just of course when you're a little kid feels like forever the ride somewhere is always forever but 
just driving through Vallejo and getting, you know, up to Clear Lake, you know, was always an adventure. And we'd always, you know, go through wine country, Calistoga and stop and get ice cream. We had these, you know, wonderful little waypoints and markers, you know, that would help us build this anticipation of arrival. And we would get into that land and open it up and that is when this magic of hospitality would just unfold for really anybody who came to that space and that space was uh, it was uh, 14 acres um, a considerable amount of it was walnut or uh, English walnut orchard okay. we had a barn we had um, my dad had a shop we had um we had cows, we had pigs, <laughs> and <laughs> nice. and uh, we had this nice little ranch house, and um, and he would do some hunting, you know, right on the land at times, but then he would go further afield in the county and uh, would take deer, mm, okay. um, pheasant, um, you know, and, and really anything, and he... You know, we would bring those things home, not only to the ranch to eat, but we would bring them back to Oakland. And so we had this beautiful relationship between this urban life and the rural life. And, you know, and I I grew up just, you know, fishing in the creek, you know, and, and riding my bike on the country roads and, you know, just doing all of these different activities that will just help me appreciate and love nature, mm -hmm. you know, as, as, as easy as, you know, anything, you know, you could imagine it was just a part of who I, I was. And, and then I was a Girl Scout and I did, you know, other adventures as I got older. And I just knew that there was so much about my life that made me me, but also helped me to understand myself better, to see myself as strong as free yep. that I got from those experiences. And um, so, it, you know, I, I, I decided to stand up outdoor Afro really as a tribute to my father, oh, to, to, the, awesome. to the, to the lifestyle that we had. And, um, you know, while he's no longer living, I really feel like there's so much about this work that is really about him and the hunting has always been there. It's been a part of outdoor Afro's um, policy, mm -hmm. meaning, you know, we have been in support of responsible hunting and fishing from the start. And I tell everybody about my background um, that involved hunting and fishing. But for me personally, this was absolutely a part. And this is kind of where I, you know, use the phrase born again hunter yep. because it really is a part of who I am that really wants to be, um, it wants life, mm -hmm. you know, it, it wants hunting wants to have a presence in my life. And, um, and I feel it's kind of renewed my connection to my dad, you know, in a lot of ways I, I had posted something not long ago on social media and there was a gentleman, his name is Michael Allen and his dad and my dad were, were neighbors in Oakland and very good friends. And eventually his family relocated um, to the country from Oakland. They just left and <laughs> lived in the country, but um, they stayed connected. And I guess when Alan was a young kid, um, my dad helped him take down his first 
buck and break it down. Oh, wow. And I, and I didn't know that. And he, he posted in response to a picture I, I had um, put up. He's like, yeah, he goes, I see you keeping up the family tradition. Oh. And I just, I just like, I know you melted. Oh, my heart be still. It just, you know, I just even thinking about that now just gives me, you know, a mist in my eye because that, um, you know, to really carry forth my, my father's, um, you know, tradition yep. and the thing that he was passionate about that gave him life and the life and experience that I have when I go out, you know, um, I understand it now in a different way. And, um, you know, it gives me just so much pride to be able to not only experience it myself, but it, it really inspires me to share it with others in the same way that he shared that ranch with so many people and how their lives were touched as a result. Man, that is so, so awesome. My, my dad has passed on as well. And he, was not a outdoorsman. My 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 grandfather, from what they tell me, I didn't uh, get to know my grandfather, but my grandfather, from what they tell me, was. So I guess that's kind of like how it kind of, you know, ended up in my blood or whatever. Because I always tell mm-hmm. people I'm, I'm a late onset adult hunter because like I didn't really get into it until later on but right just to be able to do something to carry on that tradition and to have that kind of impact and help other people I mean that's just truly remarkable it is it is a true gift I feel and uh you know so that's I mean gosh you know I think even being on this you know this podcast with you is a step in that direction for both of us, really, you know, to change the narrative yep. of, of, of who can succeed if, if they want to in this. And it's not about painting a picture that's, that's, you know, eat a, a road of, you know, ease or, or that it's too difficult. You know, it, I think you can make it, you can make it what you want. There are definitely some, you know, guardrails, but you know, there's a lot of different types of hunting, yeah. you know, that you can do. There's, there's, uh, there's different types of fishing that you can do, you know? And so I think it's important to just, just stay curious, you know, and find a community of people who are curious also, and, and also pair yourself with experts, people who know more than you and, and learn from them, even if it's a guide that you pay for, um, or if you're lucky enough to, to find someone who, you know, is a first, cause what I found with hunting is that you don't have to be an expert to bring someone along. Like I've even, even though I'm still in my, you know, renewed phase of hunting, mm-hmm. I've still been able to bring other people along because at least I know, you know, how to get to where I am now, which is still a fairly steep climb as far as, you know, the, you know, getting the gun, the regulatory things and the shopping for the right things. Like I know those things. Right. 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 And I can bring someone up to that point um, because I've, I've experienced them, you know, and for the things that I don't know, you know, I've been thankful to have a community of people to turn to, to, you know, help me and others go further. Exactly. And that's the, like you said, that's the biggest thing is to be able to have somebody, even if you don't know, (laughs) 
you can have somebody that can go in and you can talk to and just be like kind of hey can you kind of point me in the right direction so i think that absolutely that's lost on a lot of people as well because you know that we live in an age now where you know everybody's just like well don't ask me anything google it google it google it well you know no sometimes... you can't google this one <laughs> yeah you know what i'm There's saying no like, googling this. <laughs> sometimes you want it you you want it straight from the horse's mouth so i i i appreciate that part of it uh appreciate that well, part think, of it the most and i think i mean i don't know if you, you you probably have covered this but if anyone's listening to this and wants to start you know there's in your state there's a department of fish and wildlife and you and you probably have a whole bunch of conservation organizations yep. um and and those are really good places to start because right now there's a huge push for folks to um you know, come back into hunting if they've not been hunting before yep. or to re get people to stay hunting and then also to recruit new hunters. Right. Yep. So, you know, that means that there's more programs now to help people learn a lot of the basics that we've been talking about. And, um, and, and, and there are people out here who are wanting to mentor because if more people don't do it, just in the same way, if more people don't, you know, as we say often with outdoor Afro, people are not out here hiking and using these spaces. They're not going to develop a care for these places right. and they won't be protected. And the same thing is true for, you know, hunting activities. It's like if people aren't doing it, then it's not going to be around for a while. And it will be it will be decided upon by people who don't understand it. Yep. Um, and that's. You know, I think, and that would be, that would be unfortunate. And so I want to, you know, make sure that I do my part, you know, to educate people so that we can have just more people with an informed say on how, on, on how we can, you know, manage lands and, and wildlife in a way that sustains, you know, all living creatures. Nope. I, I totally agree with you there. 100%. Rue. I appreciate you taking time to come through here. I really enjoyed this conversation. The best conversations to me when I do this podcast, I, let's see, I had one, two, three, four, five, six uh, literal jot downs that I wanted to get to. And I think we got to maybe four, a solid <laughs> three. That's not, that's so not that. Yeah. Not so, and, and like I said, I, I really prefer just to have like an uh, organic flowing conversation so i i really appreciate you like i said taking the time to come through here let everybody know where they can find you because i looked at it i looked at your link tree i looked at some of your other stuff you're you're a lot of places so let people know where they can yeah. find you well you know if you want to get in touch with me directly you can contact me um, via roomap.com, map with two P's, R-U-E-M-A-P-P um, dot com. And then the work that I do, Leading Outdoor Afro, can be followed at Outdoor Afro across all the platforms. And then we have a lovely website where you can go and find your local Outdoor Afro leader if you want to just get out in nature and experience outdoor recreation activities um, we're not currently offering any hunting um, activities through outdoor afro 
but it's a conversation I'm willing to have with anyone and, um, you know, really feel like it all fits together and I'm looking forward to expanding the ways that we can bring more people into nature and, and connected to, you know, all living things. So thank you so much for having me. It's so delightful to have a conversation with you. Yeah, especially after we've hunted together recently. And I'd love for us to be able to hunt together again. So when deer season starts again, uh, you know my number. Uh, let's go ahead and make a plan to make it happen. Definitely. Definitely. We got it. We got it. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm serving notice to you now. So it won't be your California experience where you got to wait 10 days to get your gun. Go ahead. <laughs> start looking find you a bow that you like Aww, and, nice. and 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 you know start get you a target get you some arrows and and start practicing because between now between march and september that'll definitely give you a lot of time to get you know to get a chance to get familiar and stuff so make make sure you know you take take the time once you finish with your pheasants and stuff like that Find you a bow you like. Go ahead and, and and get started, and then let's see. Let's figure out what we can put together. I say we have a deal. I love it. Sounds good, Rue. Thank uh, you so much. Thank you again, and I'll we'll talk soon. Brightland. Once again, want to say thank you to Rue Map for coming through here on the Bryantland show, gracing us with her presence. I really enjoy talking to her. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed doing it. Once again, it's spring. We're rolling along here. We're excited about turkey season coming up. I'm going to look to try to tag out here in Georgia hunting these turkeys. I'm ready to get at it. Been practicing my calls, trying to get better at it. Uh, so cannot wait. Till turkey season kicks off here in Georgia. As for you guys, I hope y'all have a great week. Enjoy the rest of your week. Hopefully things are going great for you. You'll be able to get out and enjoy some of this good weather. If you got your bow, got a new bow or whatever, get out, do some shooting, man. I'm going to try to get back on and do some more shooting with my bow, man. Always thinking about deer season, even though turkey season's right around the corner. May even try to take a turkey with my bow again this year. Whatever the case is, man, get outside, enjoy the outdoors, get on your ATV, whatever the case is, man. Just get out and enjoy it. Have a great week and come back here next week for another episode of The Bryant Land Show. <laughs>